Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Morning, everybody. As Johan said, there's a lot more faces here than we were expecting, <laughs> but that's exciting. Um, this morning, we have the privilege of speaking on unity. And what an introduction we had, um, as Duan shared, I don't know, he was going to share the testimony about the people, that one mom at Pebbles, she goes to another church, they are not the same church, and yet God stirred her heart to get other people, some who don't go to church, some who do, to give towards something she felt God was saying, and God brought that in, and because we serve one God, That is where our unity comes. When we hear the voice of God, He builds His kingdom and He builds His church. And I'm so excited this morning that we get to share on unity. Um, A while ago, we had a prayer meeting and Marlies, uh, there was a time of prophetic words and Marlies uh, felt that God was going to be increasing our unity. And after that, for weeks, I just felt God saying, unity, unity, unity. This is something we need to fight for. Um, And it's something that we need to strive for, not for unity's sake, but before his kingdom. Um, We watched a movie on Friday. And as always with the villains, they're always up to nonsense. And in this movie, the villains, their aim was to bring destruction because with great destruction and sadness comes peace. And I just thought, wow, if that's what the world thinks brings peace and unity, are we in trouble? And I I really felt that Satan is out there to destroy our unity and our peace. Um, And so his his purpose is to destroy, but God's purpose is to build us up. So we're going to look at Ephesians, mostly Ephesians 4. Paul covers a lot about unity and about how to live in Ephesians. Um, So we're going to just focus on Ephesians 4. We're going to start with verse 1, if you want to turn with me. Sorry, I didn't give the the guys my notes. So you're going to have to read in your Bibles. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, is it there? Oh, there we go. But your Bibles are good too. Okay, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to that one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Humility, gentleness, and patience. That's, it's quite a tall order. I think in this day and age, those are not easy characteristics to walk in, and, but they certainly do help us bear with one another. How do we become eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit? In verse 3, it says, um, eagerly, eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How do we do that? And while I don't believe that many of us would strive to not have unity, I did feel God highlighting some things that cause us to lose our unity, cause us to not move on to the things that God has for us. So this morning, I'm going to speak on specifically some points where I feel we are hindered from our unity by how we are. And so my first point this morning, something that we need to watch out for and guard against, sorry, I feel very forward here, (laughs) is self-gratification. I know that sounds really big. Bear with me. Um, 
Imagine this scene. Driving in a car, if it's me, the worship is playing, I'm singing, the heart of worship, I'm coming back. And then all of a sudden, somebody cuts in front of me in the gap that isn't there. Woo, the worship music is gone, and I am, who are you? What do you think you're doing? Why do you think you're better than me? You selfish person. Unless my kids are in the car, then I'm going, <laughs> but the point is instantly, that heart of worship is gone, and now I'm like, why do you think you should do that? I deserve better than this treatment. I'm sure no one else feels like this. It's just me. It's just me. Of course, exactly. But the point is I get really unhappy about it. And to make it worse, if I'm on my way to see someone, that poor person is going to get a blow-by-blow -blow recount of this trauma that has happened to me and how horrible this other person was. And all I want them to say is, oh my goodness, you are so right. They were so horrible. You are totally justified in how you feel. You are such a good person and they were such a terrible person. It's just me, right? I'm the only one that does things like that, I'm sure. <laughs> Why do we feel like this? Why? It's because the world tells us everything should be about us. Everything should be about me. I am better. I deserve more. I should be in, in front. I should be, whatever it is, the world tells us we deserve it all. Me, me, me. No one else has heard that, I'm sure. It's just me. <laughs> and this makes us upset because we don't understand that in that moment we are totally coming into ourself. This morning, Johan spoke about dying to ourselves. And he didn't know that this is one of the verses I'm actually going to read. Um, but the fact is, we are, we are so self-driven that we forget that heart of worship, that music is gone, and that humility and patience goes out the window because it's about us. So let's carry on in Ephesians 4. As I said, we're going to be in and out of it, so I hope you didn't close. Ephesians 4, 22 to 31. It is a bit of a long piece, so stay with me. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasions that may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Of course, we all want a good story to tell. I don't know about you, but again, I feel like when I arrive somewhere, people will like me more if I have something dramatic to share with them. People will be more interested in what I have to say if I can make them go, oh, that's so bad, or oh, that's so horrible. And we walk around with this thing of we've got to have horrible stories to tell people. I don't know if you've noticed that. It seems to be common now. Maybe it's because our TV, a lot of the movies we watch are horrible things now. 
but we have this desire to have people accept what we are saying, to have people um, gratify us by saying that what we are saying is right. We are right, and other people are wrong, and that makes us speak a lot of what we are going through, and it's not always the right time or the right place. And some of the things we are sharing, it actually might be something we should have dealt with in ourselves already. If we look at um, verse 25 in the NIV, it says we are members of one body. So speak truth, no corrupting talk to come out of our mouths, but only that builds each other up. Our words not only produce bitterness in us, but they have the power to produce bitterness in the people we are sharing them with. So if we're walking around and complaining about people all the time and about the things that have happened, we are giving other people a negative impact or a negative thought on the people we're talking about. Does it mean that we never, ever share what's going on? Does it mean that we never tell people about the hardships we're in or the things that we're dealing with? Of course not. But we choose our time and place. We choose the people we're going to talk to. We share things with people that will be focused on God, that will keep our focus on God, that will pray with us. So we don't just, I'm not going to come up to the pulpit or even to someone who maybe is new to the church and tell them how terrible that person is on the other side. If I need to share with, with somebody, or first of all, the first choice is to go to that person first. But if I need to share, I'm going to choose someone who's stronger, who will walk with me and show me the right way in the Word of God, not go, oh, yes, you're so right. And so we need to be working towards that. Um, when we find pleasure in God's heart, that is when we can renew our minds. When we come before God and we say, Lord, I know this thought is not of you. I know that this is just a momentary thing. Actually, Jesus, give me your heart. Give me your mind. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For some of us, this is a daily task. We need to come before God daily and say, Jesus, take my mind and make it yours. The second area I feel that hinders us is unforgiveness. Often we walk around, as, we've, as I shared with a story, with this thing of unforgiveness. And it's easy, someone cutting me off, yes, it's actually very easy to come before God and say, you know what, I forgive them. I am the better person. I will forgive them. But when it's someone here that hurts us, it's much harder. When it's someone in our family that hurts us, it's much harder because they're closer to us. Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's important that we forgive people. If we don't forgive people, it says, God's not going to forgive us if we don't forgive. It's very important. It's very clear. Um, it also, in Ephesians 4, we read it just now, 26 and 27, says, Do not be angry and do not sin. Anger is not a sin, but allowing that anger to take root in us, that is the sin. And so we need to be careful to submit our minds to God and allow God to take authority. We can't give the, the devil the opportunity to move into our lives. It's, to me, it's no surprise that in Ephesians later on, where Paul writes about the armor of God, just before that, he has just spoken about how we must be husbands and wives, how we must be parents, how we must be bosses and slaves, and then straight away he goes into the armor of God. Because where is Satan going to try and 
defeat us the quickest in our relationships. So let's make sure our relationships are submitted before God. And if we have a problem with our brother, we go and speak to them. Give them the opportunity to make it right. Um, Number three, comparison. Sorry, I'm trying to get through so that Molly's can also share. Um, Comparison. uh, Also, I'm sure this is just me. I can pray better than that person. Why did Johan not give me the mark for that prayer? Or I know my scriptures better than that person. Why am I not the one preaching on this topic? Or whatever it is, I'm a kinder person. Why was I not put on the door team for the special service? Whatever the thing is, we compare ourselves and we think of ourselves much better than we actually are. Romans 12 verse 3 to 5 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body, we've heard that before, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. God knows how our bodies should work. He made us perfectly. Every cell, every part of us fits together and works perfectly. And he has the same desire for his body, this body, the church. Every cell, everything, whether you think you are just the smallest cell or whether you think you are the heart, God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. You are not better than someone, but you are also not worse than someone. We cannot think of ourselves as being less than anybody else. God made us for what we need to be. And so we need to say, God, what is your purpose for me? What is my identity in you? Last and very quickly, ineffectiveness. Ephesians 4 verse 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The New King James talks about according to the effective working to which every part does its share. We are ineffective if we are not doing what God calls us to do. If we are not doing that function he's called us to do, and I was very acutely aware, I was actually having a conversation with someone, and I felt God saying to me, this is your problem, Missy. And it was that thing of when we sit on the outskirts and we are watching and we are criticizing and saying, why do they do it this way? If I was in charge, I would do it this way and this would be so much better. But actually, it's because I'm not getting my hands dirty. I'm not choosing to be in that situation and saying, yes, I'm going to be part of this. I'm going to give the hours. I'm going to give the time and I'm going to make this better. Not because of me, but because of God and the role he's called me to play in this. And so I really feel it's important that we understand that when we are on the edge, it's very quick to become come critical of things. And so if you're feeling critical, say, well, God, what function do you want me to do right now? Where can I get involved in this body so that instead of criticizing, I'm actually building it up? The last, uh, just to uh, finish off, all of these instructions that Paul gives in Ephesians 4, he says in Ephesians 5, he follows straight after verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. As we walk in love, knowing God's purpose for us, knowing our identity in God, that is when unity comes. It's not something we can strive in our own for, but it's when we are serving that one God, the one spirit, the one father, that is when we walk in the unity he has for us.
morning, everyone. Okay, so fortunately for you, I'm telling a story right at the end. Um, Tabitha shared so well with us on um, what unity practically looks like out of the Word of God. Um, when I read through her notes, I was like, it's a tall order, God. It is a lot. How? How do we do this? And um, so to start off my story, bear with me. It is, uh, can you show our photos, please? This is me uh, almost 18 years ago on our wedding day. You can carry on with the photos. Just flip through them if you can. Here's my husband. He had a jawline, he says. <laughs> Weren't we just beautiful? Yo, and skinny. We were so skinny. And a mere 22 years old when we stood there. And um, we didn't have a massive budget for our, for our wedding day. But we loved our wedding day. And we were so excited to get married. Um, I was very excited to be a bride. I loved my dress. I loved that I could walk down the aisle. I loved that Johan was waiting there for me. Um, I loved everything about it. Our wedding started at 4 p.m. <laughs> Our wedding started at 4 p.m. And at about 10.30, Johan and I left the reception area. We went with our photographer to Emperor's Palace, where quite a few of those photos were taken. Um, and we had like our individual photos, if I can call it that, uh, just the two of us. And it was a magical, perfect day, except for the fact that he spilled some wine on my dress or some grape juice on my dress. And then while we were taking photos, I took a tumble and I tore my dress. <laughs> it was so funny. Now that I think of it, it was really funny. Uh, around 12.30, we went to a guest house that someone booked us in for. They, booked, they told me that it's this honeymoon suite and there's going to be a bath with rose petals. And I was so excited about this. Um, I phoned them earlier on. I told them we're going to be late because we're taking photos. We're only getting there around 12.31. She's like, yeah, no, it's fine. Not a problem. So we get there and it's pitch black. And we ring the bell and we ring the bell. And Johan keeps ringing the bell. And the next moment, it looked like an elf from Christmas that came walking out in her nightgown and slippers. And I just looked at this and I was like, oh wow. And, and yeah, our perfect picture started falling apart. This perfect day started falling apart. Um, she started paging through this huge book. Um, um, <laughs> um, I gave your room away, she says to us. So Johan gave her that Johan look. I don't know if any of you have ever had that Johan look. It's not a pleasant look. And she's like, look, we are exhausted. Can you just give us a room? So she starts marching us up this little staircase. And I had quite a big dress. So Johan is pushing me up from the back <laughs> because I'm getting stuck. It's so narrow. And my heart is like pulpit. I'm like, oh, okay, this is not going well, Lord. What is this? But I'm calm. I'm okay. I'm like, it's our honeymoon night. I've waited for this for 22 years. And we walk into the room and I see two single beds. And I'm like, okay, this is great. We're just going to push them together. It's going to be okay. Um, and then when she leaves, five minutes later, she comes back with a small bottle of JC LaRue, um, very warm, 
champagne, and two Omar rusks on a tray and congratulates us. I'm like, okay, this is, this is going really, this day is perfect. Thankfully, we're in the next day now, so this is not, technically, it's not our wedding day anymore. And um, we then want to push the beds together, and they bolt it to the walls, <laughs> like with bolts. And I'm thinking, okay, the bath. That bath that I've been dreaming about for 22 years with the bubbles up to my neck and the rose pits, that's going to happen now. And I walk into the bathroom and there's a shower that is smaller than I am. I weighed 49 kilos on our wedding day. I was tiny. It was smaller than me. And Johan walked in and I just burst into tears and I said to him, I know this is not supposed to be like the movies, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> anyway... They forgot to wake us up the next morning. We were leaving for Belito. So we had a cold, stale breakfast two hours later than we wanted to. And then we started driving to Belito. And while we are driving, it is silent in the car. Not a word. Johan is not speaking, and I'm not speaking. And for those who don't know us, we are talkers. We speak. We speak for a living. We speak a lot. And I just sat there and I thought to myself, Lord Jesus, we are 22 and married and divorce is not an option ever. <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> and we drove all the way to Belita without saying one word to one another. Eventually we got to our place where we were going to stay. And um, when we put all our bags into the door and Johan closed the door behind him, this man of mine falls to his knees and starts sobbing, ugly crying, like he, he cannot speak. And I'm just standing there looking at this. He's kneeling in front of me. Eventually, I just said, what's wrong? Those were the first words we have spoken to each other in seven hours. And he says to me, I'm just so overwhelmed. I didn't say bye to my friends. I don't know, I don't know. I've left so much to walk into this. And he just starts saying all these things. And all I'm thinking is, there's only one thing we can do. I am going to rebuke the devil now. So I called him, I said, come and sit down. And I started praying prayers of rebuke. <laughs> and once I calmed myself down, we both started praying. And we started speaking life. And we started speaking, remembering what God said to us, why he's putting us together. And we reminded ourselves that this thing is something that God put together, not man. And it was such a beautiful moment. And as we said amen to that prayer, I knew it was going to be okay. And we had two bathtubs there. We filled them and we bathed for the day. That's what we did with rose petals because I needed that bath. A bit of a long story, but why do I tell you this story? The reality is our marriage is a union. And when we stood in front of that altar saying our vows, our intentions were incredible. We promised and we vowed and we 
looked into each other's eyes, and it was the most perfect moment. And not even 24 hours later, it all fell to pieces. Not even 24 hours later, I'm thinking, what have we done, Lord? And isn't it the same when we join a body? That Sunday when they announce you as members of the church, look, you all have new outfits, your hair's done, you've got makeup on that day, your children are dressed to the tea because you are going to be introduced as a member and you have found home. But not even a week later we're offended because someone didn't greet us or I wasn't used here or this didn't happen for me or someone in the church hurt me. You know, there, there are many beautiful photos there. Well, I think they're beautiful. Um, Trevor, can you show the other photo, the last photo? This is not the best photo of our wedding day. But this was the most profound moment of our wedding day. Was when we took the cup and the cracker and we broke bread together and we remembered Jesus Christ. That photo is printed, and it's next to my husband's side of the bed. And let me tell you, from that moment when we said I do to where I'm standing today, we have dreadfully hurt one another. We have not kept every promise we've made. We have not kept to every vow that we've made. We have been exceptionally selfish. We have been exceptionally single-minded in our agenda for life. And in moments when we get so incredibly stuck in that place, I often go and sit on my husband's side of the bed and I look at that photo and I remember why this marriage works. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, we can think that it's our good efforts and our vows and our promises even reading all the things that Tabitha said. But until we get to a place where we can sit and look at the cross of Jesus, until we see his incredible sacrifice for us, how he laid down everything. Again, that scripture from Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we look at the sacrifice of Christ, all of a sudden something miraculous happens. All of a sudden, how justified I am seems a little bit selfish. <laughs> all of a sudden I realize, wow, I'm pushing my own agenda here. I'm not willing to forgive. Why am I so critical? Why am I so, why do I want to be justified in this? Why do I want to be right? And the moment we look at the cross and what Jesus did for us on the cross, something miraculous happens and we can see our own mistake. We can see our own selfishness in the light of the sacrifice that he gave and that he was for us. All of a sudden, it all makes sense. And we're like, wow, Lord, who am I not to forgive? Who am I not to put my agenda aside? How do we obtain everything that Tabitha spoke about? Why don't we break bread together? Why don't we look at the cross of Jesus? 
Why don't we see his sacrifice and in that we say, Lord, make me willing. Something miraculous happens. This is not a marriage thing this morning, but if you want to apply this to your marriage this morning, then do it. If unity is needed in that area. We're going to break bread together. And I want you to just ask God, as you take your cracker and your wine or your grape juice, maybe it's as a home group that you feel you want to fight for unity. Maybe it's as a family. Maybe it's husband and wife. Maybe it's for your children. Maybe it's as elders. Maybe whatever. Where do you feel God wants you to look at the cross of Jesus so that the miraculous can happen for you this morning in your heart to find unity in this LRC body? Because for what lies ahead in 2020, we are going to need unity. And that is where God commands a blessing. I wonder if I can ask Tan and Levi to just come up. And as we, they're just going to sing for us. Won't you find who God wants you to share this moment with? Find the person or the group that you need to share this moment with, where we remember unity. 1 Corinthians 11.24, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we remember him this morning, we do it for unity. We remember why he unifies us, why the cross is so important. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Just ask God, where, where is unity needed today? Where is forgiveness needed? Where have I compared? Where am I not forgiving? And where am I being ineffective? And as you look at the cross of Jesus, let him do something for you. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.